0: 1 Samuel, where we are this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter 2, we made it halfway through chapter 2, didn't get all the way through because I'm long-winded as usual, but that's okay. So in context of where we are, just remember, um, I titled this Honored Son." so Elkanah and Hannah. They've had specific behavior that's been demonstrated, specific prayers. We sat in Hannah's Kingdom Melody last week as she is praising the Lord for her son and in that relationship that she has with God. So this couple honored their son Samuel in the Lord in a very specific way. In contrast, we're gonna really sit with how Eli honored his sons, Hophni and Phinehas this morning but he honored his sons outside of the Lord. Rather than honoring the Lord, the relationship that his considerations of his sons and what they had going on, even though he was in disagreement with them, um, in allowing them to continue to go down the road that they were going down, God says that this, "You are honoring your sons more than you were honoring me." So where we're going to pick this up is in verse 27. And again, this, these first few chapters, there is a repetitious contrast between Hophni and Phinehas as Eli's son and uh, and Samuel, and all of Samuel's context. So here in verse 27, there is this man of God. He is unnamed. A man of God in the Old Testament context. This is a prophet. Very few prophets prior to this time in the Old Testament. Moses was defined as a prophet. Abraham was defined as a prophet. But this, this office, this function, this role in the culture and in the children of Israel, we really see its foundation here in Samuel's life as it carries forward um, through the rest of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. But here this man of God, again, sit in this context. Here's a guy. Just finished breakfast with his wife and his kids. And, well, babe, I got I to gotta go tell Eli that God's going to kill him. I mean, again, just to sit in, in, at whatever this context looks like, this vision, the Lord speaking to this man, whatever this looks like, we don't have the context, but here this man knows that he has heard the voice of God. And more than likely audible, more than likely a vision, a dream is how these things transpired. And the Lord is directing this man to go and give God's words to Eli, who we understand to be the high priest at this time, do you think that Eli had a direct connection with God? Do you have a direct connection with God? Is God free to speak to you in your daily life and get your attention and show you where you're wayward, where you're on track? Yes, Eli has the same relationship with God, he believes in Yahweh as the creator. He believes in Yahweh as the deliverer of, their, of his nation out of their slavery in Egypt into their current context. He is a believer. God has a direct connection with him. And here's Eli's main issue. He doesn't listen. He hears, but he doesn't respond, and he doesn't act. And we're gonna see that even when this man comes And even after God's gonna send Samuel to, to confirm that that word to Eli, Eli's just, well, let the Lord's will be done. And he doesn't have any turning. He doesn't have any remorse. There's no seeking to be reconciled. There's no humbling himself and looking for forgiveness and cleansing and change of behavior. So here, God needs to use a man of God to get through his thick skull. A man of God comes to Eli and says to him, thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And Eli would have to respond, yes. Did I not choose him? This is talking about uh, the tribe of Levi and Aaron. Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest to offer upon my altar to burn incense, and to wear an ephod before me? And Eli would have to answer, yes. And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Once again, yes. Now the question, why? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. You know, I, I've put emphasis as I've read it, but it just stands out. Again, this is God is the creator. He's sovereign. He's in control. Our existence is all about him. You are his people. We do all of our activities before him, but he's talking about you are my priest. The sacrifices on, on this altar, that is my altar, whether it's the altar you know, for the burnt offerings, also this altar to burn incense wearing an ephod, again, it's, it's to represent the specific clothing, being separate and clothed and uh, dedicated to God, being clothed in his righteousness. It's his sacrifice. It's his offering. This is the place where he has chosen to dwell in our midst, and he asks us this question, why do you honor your sons more than me? And again, it just is, Eli's not ignorant to this. He knows that his sons are wayward. He knows their behavior. We already read last week the rebuke that he gave to his sons. It's, it's outlandish. It's outside of the will of God. He's speaking to them that uh, this what you're doing is not right. But again, Eli, in this context, he's not just dad. He's also boss. He ought to have fired his sons from their positions. As, as priest rather than let the behavior keep going on. But because he took no real action in his son's life, the rebuke that God has for him personally is you are, you are putting more weight on the life of your children than you are on me and what my will is. Later on when we get into Saul's life, Samuel's rebuke to Saul is that God desires obedience more than he desires sacrifice. So all the sacrifices, all the good stuff that these men may be doing in their culture, in their time, all the good stuff that Eli may be involved in in his life, the focal point for God is you're placing all this weight and all this emphasis on things outside of me. Not in me, not in your relationship with me, but outside of me. Eli, why do you honor your sons more than me? And now, the therefore statement. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I indeed, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now, the Lord says, far be it from me. So rather than before me, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Again, this is, this is a principle that we see in all of God's word. It's just as valid today as it was in Eli's life. Those who honor the Lord, the Lord will honor you. And again, this, is, this isn't that your life is going to be easy. But if you make the conscious daily choice, to honor God, to put weight on who he is, his word, his will, his desires, his plans. As you are navigating your daily life, God says, I will honor you. If you honor me, if you put me first, if you make this the pri- primary relationship. Um, again, this isn't, this isn't just a the self-righteous kind of thing this is this is the order that god has put in place in his creation this is something that he set forward in the very beginning and it's something that again it carries forward through today god honors those who honor him god responds in love and in grace and in mercy one of the ideas that we're going to talk about in a minute is eli chooses not to repent We just studied James, and in James, if you remember, God's mercy triumphs over what? His judgment. So even here, as God is sending his voice of judgment, here is what is going to happen. Do you think if Eli would have humbled himself, looked for forgiveness, offered sacrifices, did what he should have done in the first place, do you think that God would have recanted from his judgment i do because his mercy triumphs over judgment and we see this in other places in god's word where he pronounces a judgment and the people or a person responds to that judgment in true godly repentance and then god's mercy he withholds his judgment again this is the nature and character of our god Far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, they're going to be lightly esteemed. Consequences. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm, I will cut off your strength and the arm of your father's house, so that there will not be an adult man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. There shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Finhas. In one day they shall die." Both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, Please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. So again, this is a, if, if you were in Eli's context, what would you be saying and what would you be doing? We don't have his response recorded. And again, the assumption is that Samuel is the author of this, of these first chapters of Samuel before he passes away. So Samuel, as a first-person witness to Eli's response to this man of God who comes, and subsequently to to what God reveals to Samuel that we're going to read in a minute, we have no recording of what he does. And the assumption is, is he doesn't do anything. He receives it. He's an old man. He's already lived his life. God's not judging him. You know, he's not going to die. His sons are going to die. Oh, those boys are rotten anyways. They need to die. I mean, what's, what's his attitude? It's, it's fascinating to me how easy we can hear something out of God's word. We can be confronted or rebuked or just shown something about our life, about what we're doing, about what we're saying, about what's going on and feel a little bit of remorse feel a little bit of guilt and yeah yeah i shouldn't do that and yeah i should do this and there be absolutely zero change in our life and again the change that comes it is always an act of god through the power of his holy spirit in our lives because again, we can sit in this with Eli and just think about, you know, dads or moms, about all the ways that you have failed as as a parent in some fashion and look at the life that my child is leaving. This is what I have living. This is what I had planned out for them as I was raising them. Those kinds of arguments. You know, we can sit in this guilt and this this woe is me, and well, that's just the way life is. I can't do anything about it. Again, God's heart and his call throughout his entire word, the whole purpose for God to send a man of God to Eli is for the purpose of Eli's restoration and his repentance. It's not just so God can prove a point. It helps prove a point. It helps expose exactly what's going on. It helps expose God's heart and his character to us today and even to Eli in that moment. But God's goal was for Eli's life and not for Eli's death. God's goal was for Hophni and Phinehas to live, not to be the sons of Belial, but to be sons of God. And they rejected God by their own choice. So even in this, in this, we've I brought up multiple times. But you can sit in listening to what this man of God just said to Eli about his sons, and I'm going to ask the question: Do you think that God is harsh? You think that God is wrong. Because what does he do? He says, Eli, I'm not only going to kill your sons for their sin. I'm going to cut off your entire family from the priesthood. And those who, the subsequent generations that continue to live are going to not live to be old men, but they're going to die in the flower of their age. Middle-aged guys, not even middle-aged—they're going to die young. Do you think God is just and do you think God is right to say such a thing? And why does He say such a thing? We just said Corey was sharing the gospel on there. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, there's a very specific out of God's mouth: "I will visit the iniquity of the father to the third and the fourth generation." When God reveals himself to Moses when Moses is crying out to, that he wants to see God's glory and God reveals himself and he declares his character the same idea that he is going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation and then you should say well wait a minute didn't you just say last week that we should not say that uh, that the sin that children suffer for the or, God punishes the kids for the sins of the father. So that's in Ezekiel 18 where this is a proverb in the culture and God tells them to stop saying it because every man and every woman is responsible to God for their own life. For the good and the bad, you are responsible for you. The idea that he visits the iniquity of fathers upon the children is the consequences of sin. The New Testament, Old Testament too, is very clear that whatever is sown is what fruit is going to be produced. Eli has sown specific things into his son's life by not doing what he ought to have done. How his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were wired. What was their personality? What was their culture? What was their upbringing? What was it that brought about their rebellion to God in their lives? We can't define that. But God is very clearly saying they are responsible for their sin. And as priests, they are an abhorrence to the people who are seeking me. They've made my sacrifice an abhorrence and they've made themselves an abhorrence to me. They need to be removed so that they are no longer a stumbling block to the people who are coming to God. So there's a just execution of God's justice upon Hophni and Finhas. But now what about the descendants and what about the children? What about Hophni and Finhas' children themselves? God killed my dad. How would you live with that? Would you have a rebellion towards God and understanding that God gave a specific, vocal, public judgment? Your dad was killed in war because of his sin. How would that make you feel as a child? You see, the, the fruit uh, that was sown, well, the, the seeds that were sown into the lives of this household, whatever was going on, had an impact to children, to grandchildren, to great-grandchildren. And in this judgment, he says, forever. Now, the big however, in the big but in this statement is, is what if... Hophni and Finhas, either one of them, decided to repent in hearing this judgment. What about their children? What if they heard that warning and saw that rebuke and saw that judgment and chose, rather than being rebellion to God, turning to God, seeking him for life, seeking him for forgiveness, would God withhold this judgment that he just pronounced? Absolutely. Every Every single one of us, we are condemned to death which death is a separation. So we are condemned to being separated from our creator for all eternity, everyone. And then he says, whoever, whosoever wills, if you want life, if you want to be cleansed, if you want to remain in my presence, I've given you the way through the sacrifice of my son. Come to me. And it's it's valid for everybody as long as there's still breath in the lungs. That call to come is a valid call of repentance for every single human being. And not only not only is God constantly seeking to rid us individually and culturally of things that only lead to death. He is constantly bringing about his life, bringing about his fruit. So even in this promise, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, whereas we continue in this this narrative of the Old Testament that's going to be fulfilled in Zadok. For those of you who know the story of Ezra, Ezra is a descendant of Zadok, and ultimately it's it's a promise in regards to Jesus as... The faithful high priest. But again, God's heart, God's mind, that's what his focus is. Now, chapter three, the contrast is Samuel's call here. And this is awesome. The boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. So again, Eli couldn't be all bad, didn't do too well with his two sons. Who knows how many other children he had. But he seems to be doing right in his influence upon Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. It was scarce. And there was no widespread revelation. Now again, just consider the culture. They don't have the Bible in a book form like we do. The Torah would have been in scroll form. It would not have been a common thing for people to have available to read on an everyday basis. Um, so when it comes to God's word, God's instruction, what God has already proclaimed, what he is leading the people to do, he again is using prophecy. So, but in this day, it said, it's saying that the word of the Lord is rare in those days. There's no wide, widespread revelation. And before we go any further, the word of the Lord, you have to have the New Testament lens over the entire word of God. In John chapter 1, we are told that Jesus is the word of God. So... Jesus is the Word of God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything was created through the Word. The Word was God. So you sit in what John has to say in John chapter 1 about defining the Word of God, the Word of God personified in Jesus Christ, the Word of God eternally existent. So when we sit in this idea, the Word of God, we're going to see the Word of God show up physically to Samuel, not just in his ears, not just in his head, not just in a dream, But here you have God the Son shows up multiple times visually in the pages of the Old Testament. This is called a theophany. But when we talk about the Word of God, again, this is not something that is separate from our God himself. This is his, this is him. There was no widespread revelation. Verse 2, and it came to pass at that time while Eli was laying down, in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow dim that he could not see. And you have a snapshot of his physical characters, an image of his spiritual character, lacks discernment. Verse 3, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was laying down, that the Lord called Samuel... And he answered him, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He said, I did not call, lie down again. And he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Here's this parenthetical statement Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And this is this is a huge statement. And again, it's, it's something that it feels like it's absent in Eli's life where he knows of the Lord, but there's, there's not this intimate personal relationship. So even with Samuel, the, the, the old rabbis say that, you know, we don't have his age, but it's, it's said that he's roughly 12 years old. So regardless of how old he is, here Samuel is growing up in a belief and faith and understanding of Yahweh, learning all of these things as, as a priest's apprentice, but it has this statement that he didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. And the, and the, the idea is yet. There's a maturity process. There's a, there's a time in this whole idea of the word uh, of the Lord Uh, had yet to be revealed to him. And we're going to come back to this whole idea as we talk about Jesus in a minute. Verse 8, the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived finally that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. So again, this, there's, this isn't just a, a vision, a dream, something that he's hearing in his head. Here is Yahweh manifesting himself to Samuel and calls him Samuel, Samuel. This, is this double name calling. This happens... Eight times in the word, Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul. Every single one of those occasions has a very specific context in God revealing himself and calling these individuals to himself to be sent on his behalf. The eighth time that it's said, it's both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And this is as the Son of God is on the cross saying, my God, my God. Powerful communication to the call that is occurring. And Samuel answers, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle, will ring. You ever, you ever had something, I mean, our ears will pop every now and then, but have you ever been emotionally impacted by something where it's just kind of like the pressure changes in your head and in your body and your ears start ringing? This is the idea of What God is expressing. In that day, I will perform against Eli and all that I have spoken concerning the house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And Therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of the house of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering, forever. There's an introduction to the Lord. Samuel didn't know the Lord yet, and here the Lord is manifesting him to Samuel, twelve-year-old young man. And this is what God has to say to him. Samuel lay down until morning, I'm sure, wide-eyed, and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. It seemed to be his responsibility as a young man. Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. You ever been afraid to tell somebody the truth? Then you all know exactly what Samuel is feeling. He's afraid to tell him. And again, there's, there has to be a relationship there between Samuel and Eli? Samuel gets to see his dad Elkanah his mom Hannah once a year at festival but in that daily role of of fatherhood Eli's he's in Eli's household so Eli has that role in his life there's got to be love there there's got to be respect there care provision all that that relationship would be defined as and Samuel's afraid to tell Eli Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he answered, Here I am. And he said, What is the word of the Lord? What is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do serve so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he has said to you. Standard, you know, just putting the pressure on someone. Verse 18. Then Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And he, being Eli, said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I don't know about you, but I'd be having an Oh God, Oh God, Oh God moment right there in repentance. I would not be saying, Well, whatever seems good to God, let, let him just go ahead, and I would be begging God. Samuel grew. The Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground so this is a snapshot of Samuel's entire life the words that god spoke to Samuel as Samuel spoke those words in prophecy we are being told that god did not allow a single prophetic word that came out of Samuel's mouth not to be fulfilled and all israel from dan in the north to besheba in the south all of Israel knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. I'm going um, to let you... Meditate and the rest of that on your own, I would encourage you to really go back through the first few chapters um, and spend extended time with the Lord. These are are really rich, defining chapters in, in Samuel's life. I just want to talk a few minutes about calling and what it means to be called by the Lord, what it means to be called to the Lord, what it means to be sent by him. Um, I mean, I asked Lincoln to, so next Sunday is going to be Lincoln's last Sunday, so Lincoln's going to teach next Sunday, and sharing this same kind of idea. I, I, wanted, I want him to give to us just his context, you know, how the Lord has directed him to ministry, his own testimony, what, it, what the Lord has directed him to do in ministry, how he knows that the Lord is actually sending he and his wife and his son from Georgia to California, that he's calling them to ministry there. Uh, I need you to be able to hear his heart and to be able to sit in his own testimony so that, again, that you have that encouragement of when you do and don't hear from the Lord and you have that encouragement to be bold and do what God tells you to do, even though it may be really hard. As we... on, on Wednesday nights, and again, in, in our context in regard to prayer and fasting, Nathan said, hey, let's do 30 days of prayer and fasting. I said, total agreement. So as we keep going in the study, I'm sitting there searching on my computer for this fasting document that I've had for a long time. So I just search for fasting. And this is another document that comes up. And what this is, this, this is a letter. It's not really a letter. It's kind of bullet points to my pastor in Salt Lake after a week of prayer and fasting. And the reason for this is I have, I have my own context and my own call. How do you, we are all called by the Lord. Every single human being is called to him. Come to me, live in me, find your life in me, find your salvation in me. There's a, there is a distinction in what the Lord calls us to himself to do. There's all kinds of diversities of gifts that he gives. Every single one of our life takes on different nuances. I can only communicate my context and what it is that the Lord has called me to. To, to him for and what he's sent me to do. Again, even even in my initial conversations with, with Julie and her dad, John, and her mom, Peggy, as I'm waking up to the reality of who Jesus Christ is, I felt a call to him very early. In my call to him, you know, responding to that moment of salvation, it took me a few months to get to that point. After that point, it took the Lord another year plus for me to get real with God to stop just doing whatever I wanted to do, being being an Eli, being a Hophni and Finhas, believing in God, but doing whatever I wanted to do anyways. That moment for me, it it revolved around, I started taking a new believers class, it revolves around my time of baptism. This revolves around the time that Julie got pregnant with our daughter. This is the Lord is calling me to himself through his word. And it's just, he's opening it to me week by week. In 2001, this is the first time that I read through the Bible from cover to cover. And after that, Julie and I, as a young couple, seeking the Lord, what do you want to do with our lives, Lord? We want to serve you. We want to know you. We want to follow you. Don't know what this looks like. could be in the business. It could be whatever. And felt this call to him. And the call to him was to attend to him through his word. Blake, read my word. Study my word, know my word. And all of it revolved around not a head knowledge. I knew that from the very beginning and had a beat into my head from the very beginning. Don't pursue God just for information, but pursue him for him, pursue to know him. And I felt, that, I felt this calling to what I'm doing right now. I felt this calling all the way back then, even though I didn't have a box to put this in and a definition of how it was going to occur in my life. I got a call one day from my pastor in Salt Lake out of the blue, offering me exactly half of what I was making to come on staff there as the church's administrator. So, doing all the business functions. I thought I would be there for the rest of my life. That call, that specific call, God confirmed through a variety of ways made it know that this is the open door that God was going to provide, and he absolutely did in every single way. But this was, for me, this was my introduction and my training that, that Samuel is going through. This similar call that Samuel is sitting in is this is what it looks like to do ministry. This is what it looks like to serve God. This is what it looks like to be faithful to Jesus Christ. This is what it looks like to love people. And it, there, I thought that that was going to be for the rest of my life. Until somebody told my wife three times, I think you and Blake should go plan to Calvary in Oslo, Norway. You gotta be what? I mean but again this this there was there was a repetition about it. And who it came from, it was weird enough and out of sorts enough that We had the conversation, you know, where's Norway? One, you know, you get on the map and just kind of look at these things. But this was a seed that, again, that the Lord used a man of God to plant into our hearts, and he had no idea. And this is something that God began to water in my heart and Julie's heart for months. So talking to Lincoln. These words came out of Lincoln's mouth this week. If he doesn't go to California, he'd be in sin. That that exact line is written in this document. If I don't follow God and what he is directing me to do, even though I don't know what the end is, I would be in disobedience and rebellion to my God. And this this is the purpose of this document I've written in here. I was afraid to tell my pastor what God was calling me to do because of the cost to him. Because I loved him and I love him. And we have a great relationship today. This had a cost to my family. As we're thinking God is taking us halfway around the world, I'm leaving my wonderful mom and dad. I'm leaving my wonderful father and mother-in-law. We're leaving private Christian school for my kids, leaving ministry that's there in Salt Lake to do something that is absolutely outlandish outside of it is what God called me to do. This is a document. So my pastor and his love for me is, Blake, I want you to give me 20 reasons why you want to leave. So I turned off pastors, devotions, radio. I turned everything off. Conversations with my wife specifically about this. Conversations with everybody else. I sat down with the Holy Spirit, and I sat down with the Word of God, and I said, God, speak. Because in my pastor's love for me, he's trying to keep me from what he perceives to be blowing my life apart. Right? Blake, you better be sure that this is the Lord and this isn't you. And again, sitting down with the Lord for a week and reading through this, I shared this document with my sons for them to read. Eli is feeling a direct call to pastoral ministry. He needs to know what it is to hear God's voice, not to hear mommy and daddy's voice. Not to hear the pastor's voice. Not to hear your friend's voice or the culture's voice. What is it to hear God's call to him? What is it, what is it, how do you know that you know that you know that you are hearing God's voice? Like this man of God that needed to go to Eli, how did this man know that this is what God is telling this is the word that God has to speak to Eli. Because if he's wrong, (laughs) that's a big miss if this man of God was wrong. If I was wrong in the Lord sending us out of Salt Lake, and even in this, I have multiple times written down, I don't know if it's Norway or not. I don't know where God is sending us to. All I know is that he's sending us. And again, to watch God fulfill his promises and bringing us here, and watching the ministry that he placed into our hands, the service to him, the service to you. I I can't convey how much joy, how much security. Um, To know that I heard God over 10 years ago and to be able to have this document, to have this written down, to go back to it and say, this was my prayer, this is what I read in the word of God, This is how the Holy Spirit was capturing my attention. To be a decade down the road and to say I was right, (laughs) it's a lot better than being a decade down the road and say, well, I guess I didn't know how to hear God's voice. The cost to follow God in his call is great. The cost in Samuel's life was great. Every day, worth it. This is a hard life. What, what I do, and I'm not looking for a pity party or anything, this is not easy. This is hard. You guys, I work a full-time job outside of here, wearing both hats. It's hard. I don't have a single regret in any moment, day in and day out. I have zero complaining whether it's fixing a toilet, whether it's being on a lawnmower, whether it's studying the word of God, whether it's having a conversation with you, whatever it looks like, this is an awesome life. And it's an awesome life because it's directed by the Lord. I am following him. And the encouragement of even sharing any of this at all with you, the encouragement of having Lincoln do this exact same thing next week with his life, don't be afraid to follow God when he speaks to you speak lord your servant hears god help me to be obedient amen worship team come on up heavenly father we love you tremendously and we give you thanks on this day lord you have chosen to reveal yourself to us as a dad and all that means you are the source of our life you are the one who protects us You are the one who provides for us. You are the one who disciplines us. You are the one who hugs us. You're the storyteller, Lord. You are the one who we learn work from. And you are the one who we honor. So as we turn our hearts, Lord, to, uh, to humbling ourselves, to worship you, to remember your son and his sacrifice, Lord, we honor you, we exalt you, we praise you, we thank you. We find our joy in you, our strength, our purpose, our hope. And I'm so glad, Lord, that my, my context isn't just it's a singular context. You do this in all of our lives. I'm praying for each man and woman, Lord, that they would hear your call, that they would hear your voice. And that they would follow you and you alone, honoring you all the days of their life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.